1: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's podcast is sponsored by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality, multi-dimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me, who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code WRITERS. That's madison-reed.com and promo code WRITERS.
3: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about pop culture, true crime, journalism. And this week, we look at the newest network TV true crime miniseries, this one coming with a big brand name, Law & Order True Crime, The Menendez Murders. Also, further updates in the Making a Murderer legal appeals efforts. Joining me to get that and a whole lot more done is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Nicely done.
1: Very nicely done, Kevin. Very nice.
3: Also with us is journalist, (laughs) true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady. And the woman with a nose for news, Laura Bricker. Hello, Bricks. Hello. And finally, the most positive, least wet blanket person in the world, at least according to the Crime Writers on Facebook group, (laughs) the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy, the co-host of Radio Free Dystopia, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby.
0: The Gates, Rebecca.
3: (laughs) All right. So, Rebecca, why am I the one reading all this stuff? Pretending to be me. Yeah.
1: Um, Because I'm sick as a freaking dog and I didn't want to subject our listeners to this voice. For, I wanted you to sound participate. a whole lot
3: better than this morning. We were thinking we oh, had to God.
1: do this. Oh, God. Yes, but this is difficult, and I don't okay. want to subject our listeners to a lot of this, but I did want to participate because I really want to talk about all the wigs in the <laughs> Menendez <laughs> Brothers show.
3: All right. Well, I'm just going to ignore you for most of it. Okay. And that way you can feel how- Can I
1: raise my hand when I want to say something? Yeah. And,
3: okay. And I'll ignore you the way you ignore <laughs> me when we do that.
1: Okay.
3: No. Uh, Before we get going, I just I want to bring everybody up to date and thank everybody who helped me out for the walk a mile in her shoes, which you just did. I just did. I just got back and uh, corns. I yeah, my feet hurt. No, I don't have like like actual wounds, but uh, my thighs are pretty uh, messed up. Yep. And I thought, uh, Laura, help me out on this. I, I I every year, like when I tried to do this walking in the high heel shoes, I never know like. Heel to toe, toe to heel, flat. I didn't quite get it, and and this year I just decided I'm going to start swinging my hips like Sashay, <laughs> and got it kind of got a rhythm going like that, and it worked out.
2: You're talking to the wrong person, Kevin, because I just took the last of my high heels to Goodwill this week. Yeah, um, really? I have amen. <laughs> I I am all about the clogs and the comfortable shoes, so. Um, Power to you. I mean, I did see those snazzy little pink numbers um, and some very nice socks. Where'd you get the socks?
3: The ones that say Crime Writers? Crime, crime Writers writer socks? Yes. Yeah, regular Crime Writers socks. I got them uh, special from my sister in law, Jenny. Um, shout
1: out and, Jenny my sister.
3: Shout out Jen. Uh, and they also have my initials uh, on this on the side, but I thought they were they were great to wear. For those who haven't heard the past episodes and me pitching this, this was called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, a walkathon where men wear high heel shoes and raise money for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. It's a domestic violence shelter. They have all those other services and it's a time for men to reflect on the struggles that women face when it comes to domestic violence. Right. And so this is great. So we had a lot of different teams. Uh, we had a lot of local police officers. Um, and the pumps on patrol was one of the names of one of the teams. And, yeah. uh, the heel rose, or I just who it was, was the
1: dude in the kilt?
3: He was cute. That guy was. He's a former uh, sheriff's deputy. we ah, okay. so got a lot of photos. I put them up on Facebook, and I want to thank everybody who donated because they've been donated. and still like at, at, the the donations are still coming in. So How much did you raise? Raised $1,200. That's
1: not bad. Wow.
3: Yeah, I was hoping to raise like 400 bucks. You
1: could have bought like a really nice dishwasher with that money.
3: We could have, but this is going (laughs) to a way better cause. And I told people I would read their names. And if your name isn't on this list, it's because I didn't get it until after we recorded. And I'll get you next week. So thank you so much to Alana Doroshko, Ann Rogers, Benjamin Bruning, Bonnie West, Bruce Assam, Dana Inskeep, Dawn.
1: You're gonna butcher all these names. I mean, all these names. You're gonna to to just say this. it. Just say Don
3: Lodges, it. Don Loges, Emma McLaughlin, Elsie frojka Just say it. Just keep going. Aaron Fox. What up, Foxy? Uh, Helen McCusker, Holly Wilcox, Janelle Vreeland, Jennifer Cobelli. Uh, Jennifer Rubenstein, my sister-in-law, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) For the socks and the donation, Judy Tegman, Katie Vaproskas, Kylie McElvin, Lee Hoffman, Lauren LaPointe, Lucy Parrott, Mackenzie Adderman, Mm -hmm. Margaret Lenahan, Amy Strong, Melissa Cara, Samantha Leaf, Sarah Rosenberg, Sherry Olson, Sherry Andrew, Sarah O'Reilly, Sharon Flynn, my mom, Teresa Robertson, Tracy Reedy. Vicky Clemming. I also have two anonymous donors, and I see your names here, and thank you very much. Your modesty is matched by your generosity. And I also want to thank Christine from uh, the True Crime Files podcast who donated, and of course, Rocky Flintstone. Yes. Now, guys, Rocky, of course, <laughs> donated as Rocky. Yes. His pen name? Yes. Yes. But he had to pay He's with a credit card.
1: Oh, so you know his real name, but you can't I tell have us. I have his
3: real name right here. I'm not going to give it away. Oh, my God. I'm just going to say- you show it to me? I have it. No, no, no. Next year, whoever the high bidder is- Oh, God. I'll let them know. <laughs> I Actually, it was just really it, I got his last name, but his first initial. So How
1: hard not, can it be to figure out, right? I, it's yeah. a, I'm sure you could Wikipedia that shit.
3: It probably could. <laughs> it probably could. Next week here in New Hampshire, we have an event that we're doing. Um, And it's in Exeter, New Hampshire. Laura, can you tell everybody about it? Thank you, Kevin. Um, Yes, so we are
2: doing a benefit night for the Exeter Historical Society. Somebody asked me yesterday, they're actually doing a little story in the local newspaper about it. Like, why do you want to help the Historical Society? And I was like, you know, they made my kid Little Lincoln a few years ago. Oh. Um when they unveiled the Lincoln marker in town. So I'm kind of indebted to them because we have now the most awesome family picture ever in our house. So it's going to be at the Word Barn. And as Rebecca said, this is the most New Hampshire event we've ever had. We're going in. Yeah. (laughs) You have to park in a field. There will be a child directing traffic telling you where to park. At the Word Barn, there'll be food from the Thirsty Moose. And um, it's it's a really great venue. It's a really great cause, and you get to hang out with all of us. And it's going to be next Thursday, October twelfth. Um, we'll talk about how we met. Uh, I think we might do a little sample recording session. Actually, it might not be a sample because we might actually use it. Maybe uh, see how it goes. Maybe, yeah. and we'll have some uh, cocktails. Oh yeah, we're definitely doing that part.
3: Yeah. So next week we will have a regular podcast. Uh, we may use an excerpt from our live show in that. So it won't be this won't be a whole live episode, but we will be talking next week about. Dirty John.
1: Dirty John, the new podcast from the LA Times. It's very buzzworthy.
3: And we will also be talking at our live appearance about the disappearance of Moore Murray, the new Oxygen miniseries. Yes. So if you want to bone up on that, you could do that.
2: Yes.
1: Laura,
3: one last thing. I have a note here that just says, audio book?
2: Yes. Hallelujah, people. So those of you that like to listen to a book and perhaps want to use one of our regular sponsors to buy that book. my promo code CRIME. crime. Yes, it's now I have officially signed the deal so I can tell you all um, that Lie After Lie, my true crime book, is going to be coming out on audio book in the very near future from Brilliance Audio, which is part of the Audible Empire.
3: Have you listened to it?
2: I have not, but I know the lady that um, recorded it, she was tweeting at me and apparently she is a very popular reader. So I am eager to hear um, how it sounds. Nice.
3: That's good. Toby has uh, his first book is out on audio. And what was that like for you Toby? I mean there was like an audition process, right, for the the different readers?
0: Yeah, they sent me like 6 or maybe 8 little audition things. I think it was like 2 minutes of them reading like the same passage and you just you just like let them know which one you liked the most. And it was it was mostly like Canadian theater actors. <laughs> I, I assume because it's a Canadian company. I don't know. But anyway, uh, The vaults is available on Audible as well.
3: Very cool. All right. Now I need someone to read this. True
0: crime update. (laughs)
1: Nice. Very nice. So much enthusiasm.
3: Oh, saving everyone's voice here. Now, there was a big development this week in the appeal of Stephen Avery, the protagonist from the Netflix docuseries Making a Murderer. Laura, what did you find out?
2: Well, this is much easier. So last week we talked about his uh, nephew, Brandon Dassey. Um, Stephen Avery's case here is a little more clear cut. Um, So this week on Tuesday, a judge denied his request for a new trial in the murder of Teresa Hallback, which, as you recall, was the kind of the center of the Making Murderer series. He is currently serving a life sentence with no chance of parole for the 2005 murder. And rape of Teresa. Um, So in the judge's decision this week, the circuit court judge in this is, I'm going to butcher this name, Sheboygan County? Sheboygan. Sheboygan. Yeah. Okay. So the Sheboygan County circuit judge ruled this week. uh, And in the ruling, she stated, given the totality of evidence submitted at trial in the ambiguous conclusions, as stated in the experts reports, it cannot be said that a reasonable probability exists that a different result would be reached at a new trial based on these reports. And so you recall that when when this was filed, you know, Stephen Avery has this um, very Twitter-happy attorney now, Kathleen Zellner, um, who filed a 1,272 motion for the new trial. Um, And in that, there were claims of ineffective counsel from the appeal lawyer, prosecutorial violations, evidence tampering. And then there was also this whole thing about new forensic evidence. They were arguing that there were tests that were available now, forensic tests that were not available then that were going to prove his innocence. In particular, they zoned in on his DNA that was found on a key. And I think this is a key that was like behind the like um, the shelf. It was behind. Yeah. It was like behind the the shelf. And first it wasn't there. And then it was there. (laughs) And there was all this. It appeared poof. And so in this um, appeal, Avery's attorney suggested someone took his toothbrush and planted the DNA on the key. Hmm. And that's how it got there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, So, you know, since this has happened, the twittering attorney, Kathleen Zellner, um, has tweeted out a news release saying she plans to appeal this to vacate the judge's decision. And she says this is based on the fact that there was already an agreement reached between herself and the attorney general's office to conduct further forensic testing. And that this, as a result of that, they would allow her to amend his petition. Really? Well, this is crazy, but listen to this. So she says there was an agreement, but apparently she only shared it with the media. She didn't actually file a motion or share it with the court.
3: Hmm. Ah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that seemed really weird, like, you know, that this, the AG would agree to that. Right. You know, before the judge made a ruling. Right,
2: yeah. So it that seemed, you know, so she may have, I think, uh, you know, Twittered that out, but that wasn't actually filed with the court. Now, here is an interesting little tidbit that I came across. This appeal, so far... Including all the experts that have been brought in, has exceeded $600,000. Oh. Damn. Yeah. Wow.
3: Nice work if you can get it. Yeah. Rebecca, just by judging what people are saying online, that they feel like, oh, this doesn't bode well for Brendan Dassey's oh, yeah. case. That's but totally do you separate. feel it's like no, they're totally not related? Separate. At they're
1: this two not related. Point. Unfortunately, a lot of what Brendan Dassey said in his horribly coerced confession did play against Stephen Avery at his trial. So it's only connected in that way. Like when I hear that um, Stephen Avery was convicted of the murder and rape of Teresa Hallback, like what is the evidence that she was raped? What is the evidence of that? Right. All they found in terms of a body was like a few little chunks of bone in a fire pit. Right. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. They didn't find any. uh, But that. But so it just goes to show how much that Brandon Dassey confession and conviction like played against him at the trial, but his case is completely separate. He's in a different process. He is a minor whose confession was coerced. That's not my opinion. You can watch the video for yourself, and I dare you to tell me it wasn't coerced if anyone out there wants
3: to do so. Well, it wasn't coerced. It wasn't freely given is what the, what the court said. But, uh, Which is sp- what coercion means. <laughs> it's split- no, it's splitting hairs, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, I think it's separate, and I think that the two things are going to proceed separately, I'm just really like, I mean, I kind of feel with Avery, I know that Kathleen Zellner has had success overturning other convictions. The methods that she uses, I'm not really on board with. I could imagine being one of these circuit court judges and kind of ruling against it because of her tactics, uh, less about I mean, because the content of her motion, a lot of it to me was incendiary and strange. The way that she sort of conducts herself on social media to me is strange and I can imagine being one of these judges and having that play into this
3: Toby do you think that maybe this attorney Kathleen Zellner is trying to like build the momentum that came off of the making a murderer series that you know got people fired up she was just trying to maintain that fire and hopes of changing something in in the legal proceedings, or is she just maybe publicity-hungry?
0: I, I imagine it's a little bit of both. She's like that lawyer who's briefly in The Night Of.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. The Gloria Allred type, right? Don't look at
0: the yeah, judge. she kind of yeah. shows up, and and she doesn't see that the publicity she thought she was going to get from it isn't there, and she kind of wanders off. So, I, you know, I, I think, like, just getting the spotlight shown on these cases— it's generally helpful if they're already in jail. So trying to maintain that level of interest must be helpful. However, if you're undermining your like legal case while you're doing that, that's probably, that's probably not that great.
3: And to your point, Toby, you're right that the attention that is garnered in a lot of these cases often turns into money and resources for the defense.
1: For the next step, yeah.
3: But, you know, what it doesn't do is it doesn't – well – To the extent that we can measure, it doesn't affect what happens inside the courtroom. You're not trying, the question is are you trying to influence? a potential jury pool, or are you trying to influence a judge by getting extra publicity that they would be exposed to? Laura, is that an effective technique for winning a trial?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, you would hope that the judge isn't going to be looking at the publicity that's being garnered for a case, but is actually going to consider kind of the points of law that are at issue. I just feel in this case, I could see, you know, Wisconsin, a little bit, you know, rural in certain areas, certainly not, especially where Stephen Avery's from. This is got to be seen as a little bit obnoxious after a certain point.
0: I, I don't know if it's that what actually happens inside the courtroom that's affected as much. But the fact that things do happen that might not not have broken through if it hadn't gotten this publicity. Like if Adnan had not, if, if serial hadn't been there, whether the legal machinations that followed would have happened. Yeah. And I think it's the same with Stephen Avery. It's when there's enough publicity around something that you take a closer look at the trial. You, you see if you have room for appeal, whereas th- there's got to be, you know, hundreds of people in Wisconsin who had messed up things happen in their trials or or, or whatever. But because they don't have the spotlight, it's going to stay in obscurity.
3: Yeah. And if Zellner can keep firing up the base, uh, there's probably, you know, money that will go into to benefit The defense fund. Rebecca, what did you want to add?
1: I just wanted to add, it's my opinion that Stephen Avery may not have done this. I don't know. Obviously, no one really knows. But based on the stuff I saw in the documentary, just on his, I hate to say use the word affect. I'll just go back and repeat what I said back then when we were talking about it. He's not smart enough to be as skilled a liar as you would need to be to lie as smoothly as he did when he was facing the camera and talking about this crime. So Mm -hmm. I think he either didn't do it or it just went down completely differently than the state is saying it went down. But the other thing that I wanted to say is the difference between the Adnan Syed case and the Stephen Avery case in terms of the legal approach. Yes, Adnan Syed had the benefit of a serial raising his case in the public interest and then undisclosed coming out and doing, you know, 20 additional episodes picking apart the investigation and looking at potential legal avenues. And they actually uncovered new evidence in his case with the cell phone fax cover sheet. But you look at the trial tactic, the lawyer that Anand Syed has, Justin Brown, is a measured, calm he has a blog that could put his stuff on his website, but he is not Kathleen Zellner. He is not going out there and stoking the flames of, you know, people who tend to be sort of like against the injustice seekers. He's not standing those flames. He's just going into court and he's doing his job. He's filing the briefs and he's delivering his arguments.
3: yeah, two places where I think this has actually done well. And one is, undisclosed. And I don't think we're, we're not saying anything that Rabia hasn't said publicly. She said this at Podcast Movement, that the target audience on sort of all the legal stuff, the arguments, was not the judge or a potential jury pool, but it was the prosecution to right. show them, these are our cards, and we still have more to sort of get them to think about There's how far they want to fight. It's a bombshell that
1: we don't know about. Still, don't right. Know and about
3: a bomb, right uh, what is that bombshell? Right. I would be wondering that. The other one that is using this very well is Bo Bergdahl's attorney. Totally. Yeah. They're not like tweeting every day, but they're putting all the documents out on the web because there is the possibility or the the specter that that trial could be done in secret. It's a court martial. It's not like we can go and, you know, Toby, go to a courthouse and say, I want to sit in on these proceedings on, on Bergdahl. Sometimes you do need to shed some light on what's happening.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that's right. Okay, Rebecca,
3: you said this, and I'm just gonna ask Lara and Toby. Enough time has passed since the impact of watching Making a Murderer. Who at this point thinks there's reasonable doubt that Stephen Avery committed this crime? Rebecca, you said that I do.
1: I think that the cops are dirty because I think that they have shown that hand over and over again. I think the prosecutor's a little bit dirty. I think there's a chance he committed the crime, but not in any way that they said, which means he may not also have done it. That's what I think.
3: Laura Bricker.
2: Well, you know what? I I think I've said this before. I I don't know if he's guilty or innocent. I don't feel strongly one way or another. But I do think the process was so tainted and corrupted and just that the, the, the process wasn't fair. So the actual conviction as a result of that process was not fair. So whether or not he did it or not, I don't know. But... I, I do think that there are some questions about how the case there are a lot of questions about how the case was handled.
0: Toby Ball. I'm not I'm not totally sure. I mean I think one of the things that leads me to believe that maybe he's not innocent is that you know, we've talked again and again about how how good is your counsel mm-hmm. in these situations. And he had great lawyers working for him and you saw like sort of how creatively they thought and things like this and he was still convicted but again you know you watch making a murderer and it, you know it's it's no doubt there's there's a slant to its coverage but it's hard to walk away saying that he definitely did it like it feels like it raises enough points that regardless of what sort of the rebuttal would be that he seems you know hard done by despite the fact that he had you know super competent counsel
1: I'll just say one last thing. A super competent counsel, Dean Strang and Jerry Buting, Jerome Buting, both really reasonable guys with continuous like real defense practices. These are not like media guys who are now like, associate like producers for NBC dramas. Like they're still practicing lawyers. They both are like completely sure that he didn't do it, and they've said that publicly. And that holds like a little bit of water for me just because of who they are and and what their role in the media is, which is minimal. Like they they, they have gone around the country talking about the case, but-
3: isn't that ha- Dean's office phone number? Yeah, yeah. Posted on the wall it there. Is. I
1: know it's like my little. It's one of the little things I keep in our bulletin board <laughs> next to the photo of Rob Lowe. But in case way, you get
3: arrested, you, you already have Dean's phone. I have Dean your, your first phone number phone up call. On the,
1: Yeah, no, I connected him with an interview once, so that's how I have that. Yeah.
3: Well, I if I were on the jury, I think I could be convinced to convict. I don't know. I think it's it's changed for me, but um, I'd have to watch. That. I'd have to watch it all again. All right, we're gonna move on to another one of these. So, can you say it again? True,
0: True crime, crime update, update number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: my God. I just peed a little bit.
3: Oh, no. Hey, I, so, uh, FBI agent Jim Fitzgerald, uh, the real James Fitzgerald, uh, took to his blog to write about the miniseries, the uh, Manhunt, Manhunt Unabomber. Manhunt Unabomber. Because as we talked about it, we said we had some problems with sort of the storytelling and questions about kind of like, how close to reality is this?
1: And the like Pollyannic portrayal of Fitz as like a saint.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and the whole sort of Hannibal Lecter, Clarice Starling kind of stand. that was like, this was just a little too much. A little too bullshit. Yeah, and so you know, if you go to uh, Fitz's, I'm gonna call, I guess I'm gonna call him Fitz now. If oh you go, God. no, I'll have to call him Fitzgerald because Fitz is the character. We'll go like that. Fitz, <laughs> if you go to Fitzgerald's blog, and people were tweeting this at, at us, he's like a 17 page uh, explanation about sort of explaining the process <laughs> of what went into the development of the miniseries, and said so that several years ago, both he and Jim Clemente Ugh. went to the network. And pitched this idea about you know looking at how the Unabomber was captured, and thought of it sort of like as a team, very much like Spotlight, in that sense that it was like this is how the team did it, and they liked it, and he signed a bunch of papers and signed his life story, and they had a they had a writer to do it, and they got rid of the writer, and they got rid of Clemente and the only person they hung on to was Fitzgerald because they needed his life story. And he goes into about how this writer got canned and that writer got canned. This director came on and they wanted to increase the drama. And so he wanted to come out and say this because he was getting some pushback on social media, especially from former FBI agents. But the network, Lifetime, basically the PR people said, don't say anything. Let's not make this a story unless it has to be a story. So he says on his blog. So he says on his blog. But he's like, he, he comes out and he says, look, all that stuff where Fitz meets Kaczynski's, I've never met Kaczynski. And that these producers thought that they needed more drama. Mm-hmm. And so the closest there is a, a kernel of truth in any of that is that he was about to go interview Kaczynski after his conviction. And he had a bunch of questions he wanted to ask him. And some of those questions got it, made it into the script. But all of this stuff about him like living in the woods and- You mean all the bullshit stuff. All, it's funny because all the stuff that would just like smelled like bullshit, the stuff I didn't like about it was all made up. And the things that I did like about it were pretty close to the actual truth of the story.
1: You wouldn't have liked it anyway.
3: I might not have liked it anyway. You know
1: why? The John Benet special is, is how I can prove to you that you wouldn't have liked it anyway. Because these like profiler pitched, profiler driven stories are also kind of bullshit. Because it's like. It's like, look at the role I played in this thing. I mean, it's one thing. I have nothing against well, people who had interesting jobs than writing books and, like, turning it into media products. That's fine. I mean, look what we're doing. We're making a podcast, right? But in no way are we trying to sell our story of a thing that makes us look heroic. And okay, there's no way for that not to be This is the thing bullshit.
3: that the guy, that what Fitzgerald says, The guy on social media was giving him crap about. And what he specifically wanted to say is, no, that isn't what I pitched. I didn't pitch a story about a profiler who went after and caught the Unabomber. I wanted to talk about, you know, here's a great story about this task force that everybody did all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, then they make it out so that the head guy is, like, really mean and that nobody listens to him. They had a a lot of artificial drama to it. And there's composite characters and they play with the timeline and and things like that. Now, Laura, as somebody who's written nonfiction crime books— Yes. Sometimes we take some liberties with things like timelines and with characters, whether it's hiding a person's name or maybe we just talk about the one detective as opposed to the 10 detectives that were also contributing. Is this the same thing? Do we pull? Are, are we guilty of the same thing? No,
2: I, I don't think so. I mean, I certainly can't say that I have fabricated relationships and books that did not <laughs> exist as happened in the show. But I can say, you know, the, the case that I wrote about, there were two lead detectives. One of them was willing to sit down and talk with me for the book and the other one was not. So that one that sat down and talked with me, he became pretty much like the central character, like the protagonist that was solving the mystery. I mean, the other guy was always mentioned as being there. But those are the situations I found myself in where you're recreating the story based on the people that you do have access to, the people that are willing to cooperate. And sometimes you have to sort of improvise a little bit with like, you know, say you're interviewing one person who was there, they can maybe recreate a little bit the other person's role. But, you know, everything, you know, I, I'm, you guys went through this as well. Everything that you write when it's a nonfiction true crime book has to go through lawyers yeah. and everything. And they're like, where did you get this information? And do you have documentation? So I think we're under a little bit of a different lens than a docudrama true crime show for TV that's a little more for entertainment value.
3: Yeah, now, I actually call them shortcuts of necessity and not shortcuts of drama because it can be when you're reading a book and you don't have a visual on who the tall guy is and who has the mustache and whatnot, it can be hard to keep track of which detective is doing what thing. Toby, in a fictional mystery, anyone, it's usually one detective, amateur sleuth or whatever, or possibly two. It would be very hard in a fictional story to follow the exploits of eight detectives, Pulling different pieces together. Am I right or am I wrong on that?
0: Yeah. And I think even the ones that do try and have multiple investigators tend to focus on the chief or whatever, whoever is sort of holding it all together. Like, I think like Ruth Rendell sometimes has, you know, several secondary detectives go off and interview people and stuff like that, but it always comes back to the main protagonist. You know, I, I kind of felt like, especially, you know, hearing you talk about sort of the changes that were made that, you know, they, they took this, the Unabomber story as sort of pitched to them. And it just seems like they put it into the mold, you know, yeah. it, it's like they put it, they put it into the, the TV show maker. And they just <laughs> added all these like little elements that you need, you know, you we quote unquote a quote, scrappy need. young Timmy. And right. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of interest. And when he's thinking about clues, he walks around muttering to himself. And it's easy to envision How that happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably good that he got to come out and make that point because it was uh, without thinking about it in that way, just what what ended up on the screen, the part that I watched of it, it seemed like it was self-aggrandizing. An artifice of someone else's making. I
1: yeah. think that writing a 17-page response about something like this is self-aggrandizing as well. That's just you, my have opinion. Have you read it? Yes, I actually did read it when you it did. first came out. Yes, but- So you didn't
3: think it needed to be 17 pages to explain the whole thing?
1: And listen, here's the thing. When you pitch stuff to TV, this is what happens. This is why, Kevin, frankly, and this is perhaps a discussion we've never had on the podcast before, so I'm going to throw it out there. We know some podcaster people who are also doing film projects. We're going to be talking about the Maura Murray thing next week, which features a radio person doing a a film project mm-hmm. we've been pitched on tv stuff and i have always balked at it for this exact reason because it, you cannot control what goes on tv like the tv machine is completely different than the radio machine and the podcast machine and even the film machine the tv machine is a unique medium in the true crime genre where we've seen it with the reenactments that have been on the shows that we've been on uh when we talk about case we wrote about and all of a sudden like the kind of dowager like lady is suddenly like in a negligee in the TV version, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, so that, that there uh, yeah. comes a time like when you decide you're going to pitch stories to TV. like You know that's what's going to happen. I think that he knew that, and I think that he's a little thin-skinned about the pushback. And I get it. 17 pages, though, a little much for me.
3: All right. Moving on. We have one more of these.
0: Toby, do it again for me. Yet another uh, true uh, crime uh, update.
3: update. <laughs> so good. So good. So uh, we finished up, or I should say, the network finished up the last episode of the Lacey Peterson miniseries. Hell yeah, they did. When we originally reviewed this, one of the descriptions that we we said was that it seemed to be playing the story right down the middle, very very early on. And I would say that probably towards the end, we start talking about the trial in the miniseries that it certainly gives. You know, the prosecution side a lot of the points about why he was found guilty. And then when we get to the end in the last episode, there's a lot of buzz right now about people thinking maybe Scott Peterson didn't actually do it.
1: Yeah, I started
3: a lot of that buzz. You started it. All right. (laughs) Well, explain yourself, Lavoie.
1: I think maybe he didn't actually do it, which I, by the way, I have gotten a lot of like positive feedback about that. If you look at like our Facebook group and I put like a poll out and stuff, like I am one of these people where before I watched this thing, I was like a hundred percent sure he did it, right? What if he
3: didn't do it? Is that even the question? Right. That was me. Yeah,
1: I was in the same exact camp and I want him to have done it because in some ways it fits everything I thought I knew, right? Mm -hmm. But what this documentary did so well, it it really pulled together all of the factors that point to potential innocence, which was, you know, a lot of it had to do with the actual trial, which was insane. Jurors voting each other off, like on the TV show Survivor, jurors lying to get on the jury. And then there were all these witnesses who saw Lacey Peterson the day that Scott was allegedly like driving her To the marina in his truck to throw her on the boat who actually saw her, you know, walking their dog. And for me, the dog is the detail that sticks out because, by the way, I think Scott Peterson was a piece of shit and like a really bad husband. I'm not going to lie about that. Like that's that's just Mm -hmm. out there. I mean, and this documentary, does not shy away from that. Like he was a shitty, shitty husband, bad boyfriend, all that. But who on earth, as part of their murder plan, would put the dog outside with its leash on to wander around Thinking like someone will see the dog or find the dog and I'll be able to come up with an elaborate story at least he was wandering the dog. You cannot predict a dog's behavior, right? Oh, I
3: can predict our dog's behavior. Yeah, but that dog wandering around the
1: neighborhood to me was the detail that points to potentially he didn't do it. And it it sounds like a small thing, but
2: that dog is connected to a lot of witnesses.
3: Laura, did you finish watching the miniseries? Do you have an opinion?
2: You know, I didn't finish watching it because I just, I couldn't take it. So I'm still in the, he, he did it category because I didn't finish it. Did they actually present like another like suggestion as to who could have done this? I yes. And that's the thing. They did. Okay. Okay. So maybe I should finish it then. You should finish it. And there's also
1: some very interesting forensic stuff. Stuff you thought you knew about the forensics around Scott's house, around the bodies that I thought I knew that I did not actually know and it, it, it just, it throws them out there. And at the end, it is a little bit, lean a little bit towards Scott. But also Lazy's family is in it also until the very end. So I don't know. I, I, I think maybe he didn't do it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I wish I didn't feel that way, but I do. Kevin, you watched the whole thing. What do you think at this point?
3: Okay, I, I will say the detail about him ordering the porn channel yep. right after she disappeared, yep. to me felt pretty incriminating because it indicated he didn't think she was coming back.
1: Why did it indicate that? Because, you could just cancel the porn channel if she came back.
3: No, For goodness' sakes. no, no. But it, it, I, I don't know. That that was my thought. If you had like walked out, Remember, you know, Playboy channel. Husband.
0: We all grieve in different ways. We all grieve in
3: different ways. Yes, <laughs> she could come back at any minute, so I better like cancel the Playboy channel. However, I will say, you know, the legal standard is the state doesn't have to say how someone was killed; they don't have to provide that. But you kind of real life do, and the fact that they really can't say the, the cause timing, of death or the cause or what yeah, happened. Have there's no the, yeah. not even a
1: theory. There's no. We theory We're just saying the manner it. of
3: death, but the cause of death is just so up in the air. And there's the no timing, evidence. Of it. There's no evidence. I will say now that I I might have, I might have some doubts, but I don't have any doubt about Kapari's line of beauty oh, products.
1: Me neither. <laughs> made
3: from 100 oh, yes. percent organic. Coconut oil makes me feel so good. Rebecca, you just put your foot up on me. What is this? I want you
1: to feel my moist, moist Kapari leg right oh now. Oh my god. Oh, don't use that word.
3: <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands <laughs>
1: <The Kapari. laughs> on
3: Rebecca's calves. It smells like an almond joy. It does. Yeah. It does. I'm sorry if this is too steamy All right, for everybody. Alright, stop
2: it, stop it. Don't be gross. Yeah, I was gonna say save it for uh save it for later.
3: <laughs> We've been talking about Kapari forever. It's the multitasking skincare and body care product that is free from sulfates, silicones. GMOs and parabens. You know why? Because this is made from coconuts. That's all.
1: That's all it's got. Coconuts. Coconut oil. That's all. Hundred percent Fam- pure coconut oil. From, from,
3: from, from harvested from like family farms. Oh, I know. Coconut farms.
1: Responsible coconuts.
3: Absolutely. It's for head to toe hydration and a beach smell. It just won't quit. Nothing beats Capari's organic coconut melt. It is the ultimate multitasker. Can I get a hallelujah, Lara Bricker?
2: Hallelujah. I love their facial products. They have a whole facial system. They're really great for sensitive skin, and they smell so awesome.
3: Now seriously, with Kapari, you'll get vacation flashbacks for the rest of the year. We love Kapari. Oh my God, I love Kapari so much. I love it so much. I love
2: it. I actually, tonight, um, there was like some smack that was laid down in my house because my son has been making slime. It's like this craze with the the kids in this age bracket.
3: Oh my God, they better not be touching your Kapari.
2: That is exactly what I said. I was like, listen, you touch that coconut stuff and that is it. You are going to see me go wild. He's like, okay,
3: I know. I won't touch the podcast lotion. The podcast (laughs) lotion. That's what we're going to call it. Say aloha to your best skin and hair of your life. With Kapari, the podcast lotion. Go to <laughs> KapariBeauty dot slash crime to get twenty percent off your order. That's Kapari K O P A R I Beauty dot com slash crime for twenty percent off. KapariBeauty dot slash crime. So, you have anything else, Kevin? Why, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, <laughs> Kevin. Uh, you spend a third of your life on your sheets. Yes. Are they taking care of you the way they should be? The Brooklinen ones are. Yes. God, good. I hope this is a
1: Brooklyn commercial, yes, right? It's a
3: g- good call. Oh, good. The high quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. It was founded in April 2014, and Brooklinen offers simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury price. It's the fastest growing bedding brand in the world. And their sheets have over 12,000 5 star reviews. Twelve thousand and ones i 'cause I'm gonna go leave one later. Toby, you have some Brook linen sheets at your house. Tell us about them.
0: I do have Brooklyn linen sheets. I like them a lot. I have a hard time getting out of the bed in the morning, and the Brook linens don't make it any easier.
3: Oh, horrible Brook linen! <laughs> Shake my fist at the sky, Laura Bricker. Tell us about your. Well, wait a minute. So, tell us about all of your experiences. On the Brooklyn and one, just the PG ones.
2: Yes. So this week, the Brooklyn and sheets were very comforting for my son, who ha- fell asleep on my bed after he had a pogo stick land on his toe, oh. resulting in stitches. But um, the sheets were very comforting to him. They were very soft. I also really like the uh, duvet covers because you know we all have some of those comforters that are a little past their prime, and these duvet covers are so nice. They're in the same. Really nice material as the sheets, and it's like having a brand new bedroom when you put that on. It's just awesome.
3: You know the duvet covers that have like the little tie in the top corners. The tie is very, but
2: not substantial. in the
1: bottom corners. It's very substantial. The tie in the Brooklyn and yeah. duvet cover.
3: I appreciate yeah. it. No, well, awesome. it's
2: nice. It, it really feels nice. I mean, it feels very luxurious when you have that over the comforter, and your feet. It's just, it's very nice.
3: Yeah, Brooklyn, and thanks for putting the ties in all four corners. Hell yeah! It's, it's like. The pillowcases
1: are so the well designed bill- yes. too. The end of the pillowcase yeah. like folds over so there's no like gaping yes. hole at the end of your pillowcase. It's incredible.
3: Yeah. The Nobel <laughs> committee like really fucked up by not giving Brooklyn Linen some recognition. Totally sure. agree. I will say that. I love my Brooklinen Linen sheets. com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code crime, crime. at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklyn linen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets, that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. But the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME, crime at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code crime. CRIME. Brooklyn. These are the best sheets ever.
1: They're the best sheets we've ever had. That's for damn sure.
3: Wow, that was a great transition, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.
1: (laughs) 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 Are we moving on, Kevin? We're
3: moving on. All these fucking papers. I don't know where I'm at. Hold on. Give me a sec. Are you
1: getting like the host paper cuts like I always get every week?
3: Thanks for numbering these. Okay. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Uh, following the, on the success of the critically acclaimed People vs. O.J. Simpson, NBC has jumped into the miniseries game of retelling famous crimes. Last month, the Peacock Network launched Law & Order True Crime, The Menendez Murders. Now, despite the title and the famous dunk dunk, it's a Law & Order spinoff in name only. Does the show have the star power and the storytelling power to pull this off in prime time? Rebecca, okay, it's Dick Wolf. Who's the executive producer? Why brand it Law and Order?
1: I have no freaking idea, except to get people to talk about it and watch it. Maybe, I mean, they have the dunk dunk in between scene transitions, but it really is Law and Order name only. There's no tie to it. The cops are much savvier and less cheesy than they are in the Law and Order franchises. You know, we do a whole podcast about Law and Order, so I feel like I really know that show in and out. And this is nothing like what we talk about on our other podcasts,
3: Laura. When we were just talking about, you, you know, sort of the uh, dramatic liberties that television takes and sometimes in books we take. I will say that they're very upfront in the first 10 seconds of every episode that they are taking liberties on this case.
2: I think they don't really, you know, I question if they knew where they were going with this because it's like they're trying to make it like law and order. So they're like, okay, we're going to take some liberties to dramatize this a little bit. But it's really not like law and order. I don't know. It's just kind of falling a little
3: flat for me. What do you think about Dr. Daddy?
2: Oh, God. Dr. Daddy <laughs> yeah, we're jumping ahead. So Frickin' Gross. creepy, and I liked him on the Good Wife show in the beginning of the show, but this, I'm just like, was he one of the '80s brat pack guys too? No, he's he was Sports in Sports Night. Night. Yeah, Masters okay. of sex. he's an Aaron
1: Sorkin person.
2: Yeah. Okay, but yeah, Dr. Daddy and his mistress with the horrible wig—I just can't. Heather that's Graham. Heather Graham. That's
1: Kevin Flynn's. But, uh, uh, that's your free pass. That's my free
3: pass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you sometime about how uh, we met Heather Graham in Las Vegas. You blew it. You totally blew it. I totally blew it, which is why I'm still here. Toby, now I know you're not like a big Law & Order fan, but part of the Law & Order fictional formula is that we have the cops, and with very few exceptions, we don't know a lot about them. It's really driven by the mystery, and these cops just come along, and they're very utilitarian. To that extent do you, what do you know about the cops in this? if I gave you a hundred dollars, could you name the guy with the mustache?
0: uh do they ever name him
3: no <laughs> I don't know I don't know no guy. it's like
0: there's there's a guy with the mustache and there's the guy without the mustache and the guy with the mustache is sort of nominally in charge and once in a while he makes a brisco wise crack, but that's about yeah. it yeah and then there was one time when he snapped, he was on the phone and he's <laughs> he snapped at the other guy to get his attention. Oh, yeah. You know, hey, the guy hey, Dropped everything here. he was doing and looked up. Hey, over yeah, here. Exactly. That's, that's what Rebecca always does to me.
1: No, it's not. <laughs> I hate people who do that. That's like a very New York thing that obnoxious people do in restaurants is snap at the waitstaff, and I hate that. It's always been a pet peeve. By pizza. the way,
0: yeah, there's more waitstaff abuse in this show yes. <laughs> I've oh. seen in a long
1: time. I love it. This, Give me some real spinach. This spinach is mushy. Can I get some real spinach, please? My
0: glass
3: has been empty for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Rebecca, my glass has been empty for 10 minutes. I do actually mind?
1: do like that stuff. I'll tell you. Um, are you about to ask us what we remember about this case? Is that the next question on the list?
3: Yeah, I skipped it.
1: No, don't skip it, because I think it's interesting.
3: What do you remember about this case?
1: I, well, here's what I remember. I remember that there were two brothers, that they did kill their parents, and that their defense was about their parents being abusive. Mm-hmm. I also know that one of my best friends lived in the college dorm at Princeton with Lyle Menendez. What? She says that no one was particularly surprised <laughs> when turned <her dad laughs> his parents, because he was wow. really flashy with the money right after they died in a way that was like... Obscene. Really, really obscene and very, very strange.
3: Well let me just put a bone sort of the law in order brand part of this and so we can get to sort of the other discussion about the show. Rebecca, and I'm asking you this because you're on the These Are Their Stories podcast yes. with me. I would say that if there are some other things besides the dunk dunk yep. that carry over and a little bit about sort of the way they they draw the police characters as this sort of superficial, they're doing their thing and we're not gonna see a lot of, you know, of them barbecuing on the weekend. If it's like any law and order franchise at all, it's like criminal intent.
1: A little bit because like we know they did it Mm -hmm. and then we sort of see how it unravels a little bit. Yeah. But the one thing that's completely different that doesn't show up in any of the law and order universe shows is this inside look into the defense. Leslie Abramson is a character in this show from the beginning. And I don't think it's a stretch to say she's the strongest character in the show and the best acted character in the show. And she's in it from, Before she even knew they were going to be her clients, you see her at home, you see her with her husband, you know, they're adopting a baby and you kind of get that whole backstory. So you're going to visit her other clients in jail in the middle of the night. Like you get a lot of her. The defense attorneys in the Law and Order franchise and any of the shows, they just show up when it's time for the trial. That's the only time we ever see
3: them. Uh, Toby, now Edie Falco is playing Leslie Abram, Abraham, Abramson? Abramson, Abram. What is it? Abramson. Abramson. Leslie Abramson. A- Abra- this is a, that's a tongue Abram Abramson. Abramson. Yes. All right, Toby, you with me so far on this? I, I got okay, it. Okay, all right. So, so Toby, Edie, Edie Falco is playing Leslie Abramson. 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 Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> oh God, what
1: is the matter with you? What was the other word that you couldn't say that time? Oh, it was a uh, shruthy pedimanini. You're having yeah. a shruthy Penamanini moment. La, la,
3: la, la, la. Well, okay, so we have the defense attorney is sort of the... <laughs> the lead focal character here first of all tell me a little bit about what you think of edie falco can she carry this whole miniseries and the idea that we're not going to focus on the detective who cracks the case but we're going to look at it from inside the defense
0: yeah i mean i think edie Falco's fine i mean the, the whole thing is just terribly acted i think i mean she seems like the most sort of legit of anybody i just thought this whole thing was so poorly done that even like kind of the stuff where, you know, you're trying to get a little backstory about her is just so cliched and awful was like, you didn't wipe the blood off my client's face. Let me do it. You know, and you knew when you married me that I was going to put my clients above everything else. (laughs) You know, it's like all this stuff. It's like, Jesus.
3: Toby, I think that that's probably going to play in the future when, when during the trial, she gets a lot of criticism for being sort of, motherly to them. And I think that we, maybe they're setting up, see, she's like this with all of her clients. She acts like a very caring woman, motherly to all of them. And it wasn't it wasn't fake for the Menendez brothers to try to get him acquitted,
2: yeah, well, I was gonna say I'm wondering if the reason that they sort of focused on Edie Falco as you know the defense attorney more in this case is kind of going with where public interest has been with regard to criminal justice in the last few years with like wrongful convictions and and things being told more from the defense side of things, where you know even in this case, we know from the beginning that these brothers did this, but, you know, showing that angle of the court system and the criminal justice system, because there's been so much more interest and focus on that. If they're kind of playing to the ratings a little bit there.
3: Now, it is it is very hard not to compare this to the gold standard, which is people versus O.J. Simpson. Yeah, it was really the five. first
1: well-done, dramatized thing that we saw.
3: To make these kinds of dramas work, you either have to not know the outcome Or it has to be a character-driven story. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the O.J. miniseries was. We we knew what was going to happen. It was character-driven, and that was why it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Rebecca – I guess we're kind of coming back to Law & Order, where it is so sparse on character details that it's just, it's a procedural.
1: There's a lot It's about of, the
3: procedure.
1: Well, no, I don't just, Are I they don't setting agree. themselves
3: up for failure here? No, or I... Or do they have to go more character?
1: I don't agree that they are doing a good job with the procedural. They're also not doing a good job with the character stuff. Edie Falco's character is the only one that they've done an okay job with, although I agree with Toby, that's a little bit hackneyed. Eric and Lyle are actually super interesting in real life. They really are. I mean... Lyle did a Today Show interview a couple weeks ago with Megan Kelly. A whole other conversation on there. On the telephone. But on the telephone. But when you hear him talk, like he's a compelling and interesting guy. And he makes like a fairly cogent case for himself and his brother in a way that this show is like completely stripping out. So basically in this show... Lyle is the uh, like the douchebag preppy kid who's just like evil, right? But he has this like weird protective thing with his brother who's like neurotic and like needs to see the shrink just to get through the day, but also happens to be like a crackerjack tennis player. Like they're trying to paint with too broad of a brush something that is probably a lot more interesting than what they're showing. Even the examples that they show of the alleged abuse so far have just been so silly and not particularly convincing and empathy inducing to me i think they're really trying but it's just not the
3: same they have to try to build that some more laura now i I tend to think of this case as sort of post oj simpson trial los angeles i was surprised that these murders took place in 1989 and that this case stretched that far back so we're starting off this narrative in the late 80s um Mm -hmm. they go a little too much on the uh the flashback to the MTV era.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that that was the thing that really stood out to me. I was like, "Boy, this is like the cheese factor here." You know what I mean? It's super cheesy. We had so much, like, almost overdone with the '80s. It, uh, maybe I'm just blacking out the '80s, but it's like, you know, we have like the perm on Edie Falco, which is almost like comical. We have like this giant, which Corvus is accurate phone. though. However,
3: that is how it she is looked. accurate. Yeah.
2: We've got the porn star mustache on the detective. And <laughs> then um, my personal favorite is when, which one was in the Jeep? Was that? It was Eric's Jeep, but Lyle drove it during the arrest scene. Yeah.
3: And he had the, yeah. you can't touch it, MC CD. Hammer. <laughs>
2: and I was just like, oh my God, that is just the best. You can't touch us. I'm like, yeah, right. You're getting arrested.
3: <laughs> yeah. But
2: so, I mean, it was a little bit nostalgic, but I felt like it was just. So it was like every 80s cliche and thing you remembered about bad 80s was like in your face in this. And I just was like, I don't know. It was a little much.
3: Well, Lila is too legit to quit. Um,
2: (laughs) Is he?
1: Yeah.
3: Toby, you know, one of the things that like it it looks like it's a bad thing uh, or or like a, a deficiency in the production are the wigs. Right. They're over the top. With the curly hair on Edie Falco, but that is how Leslie Abrams, Ab- Abram- Abramson son actually looks. I'm just
1: going to, every time it's time to say her name, I'm just going right? to say it, right? That's perfect. So say it again. So that's how, that's how Leslie Abramson
3: looked in real life. <laughs> and Lyle's hair looks, it's not a bad acting slash movie wig that's also how he looked in real he life he also wore a wig in he real also life. wore a wig yeah. in, in real life which is why he looks like that
0: distracting or accurate or both it wasn't a great era for hair in general <laughs> um and at, at first like the the brothers is definitely a little distracting but you know the whole thing it, it's the way they try and portray and i guess maybe it's like the, like, super rich people in the 80s. I I don't even know what what TV show it reminds me of, but it does remind me of some TV show back then with, like, the ridiculous pastel colors and... The uh, Fresh Prince of of
2: Bel-Air. Miami
0: Vice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it it does seem like
3: a little Miami Vice-y. Rebecca, talk about the Menendez brothers. We have... Culturally, yep, we have a, an impression of them in our heads, right? So far, how has the TV show portrayed them?
1: Oh, super crappy. Like, um, so I both think both of them crappy. No, I actually think the guy who plays Eric is is fine. I think he's fine. Eric was we're the not more, talking more about sensitive actors, one. We're talking
3: about the characters. Right? No,
1: I know, I know that. And we also know, I do remember from the trial that like one of them was like an alpha, and the other one was like not. And uh, Lyle is clearly the alpha. And I just think the show is going into caricature area with them, where it's like. We just finished episode two where, you know, Eric tells Dr. Daddy (laughs) the whole thing. Dr. Daddy engages in this plot to just basically extract a lot of money from the brothers. And Lyle, instead of also just murdering his brother Eric, which, you know, like what a real killer would do in that situation, right, is like still all about protecting the brother. And where I think later we're going to be led down a thing, which is... What from real life where it's like he'll do anything to protect his brother. So like he killed the parents because the parents were going to be alone with the brother and he wanted to protect the brother. We're not even seeing like a glimpse of that and their interactions with each other. That sort of thing that would engender some empathy. And like maybe it was we're not even seeing any of that. It's just sort of like douchebag older bro with kind of a hot mess younger bro.
3: Laura, do you think like they're turning enough cards or not?
2: No, I feel feel the same way. I mean, I felt like I was like, God, these guys are like as I'm watching this and like they're just little punks like I want to smack them and I'm I was feeling like Rebecca I was feeling a little more sympathy for the younger brother because he seemed a few times like he actually was kind of remorseful but then you know he's got his new girlfriend and everything and Whatever. So, I felt like I, I, you know, if we're gonna go down this road, I want to create a little more. I mean, we know they did it, but let's create a little more reasonable doubt and a little more sympathy towards them as characters. Because right now they're pretty much very one sided in terms of they're just douchebags. Pardon the language, but I mean that's
3: that's kind of how they're. Did coming you say across. pardon
1: the language, to douchebags after calling them dicks?
3: <laughs> yes. Classic. Dicks or it, uh, yeah. Classic bricker. <laughs> Well, an American vandal, nobody spray painted douchebags. On people's cars, that's true to dicks. That would be way grosser. Toby, so O.J. Simpson, yes. jean Benet Ramsey, now the Menendez brothers. Are we in a period of true crime nostalgia? Are we nostalgic for these big cases? Um, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the networks think people are?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, so look, the, the stuff that I think has been really successful in true crime over the past couple years when it's just been absolutely booming has been people finding little known cases that have really interesting aspects about them. And and even like like Jacob Wetterling who who is who is better known, but he wasn't like in People magazine. Right. Or maybe it was. But anyway, I didn't know much wasn't about it. Wasn't ubiquitous. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean if that's really the thing, I feel like it's like a slightly wrong strategy because I think what people and I don't know, and, and maybe it's just like the people who we happen to interact with a lot on social media and stuff because that's what they're into. These aren't really with, with the exception of the OJ thing, which I which just involves so many different aspects of, of our society and legal system and all this stuff. But I, I think what people like to see is the workings or lack of, of the justice system. They want to feel invested in somebody's case. And I don't feel... Like I don't even I don't even know what to say about this Menendez thing because it it's almost like it feels like somebody did an outline of like things they could remember of the case and just like <laughs> tried to make a show about that because it really doesn't at least I mean maybe later it gets great but so far it hasn't illuminated anything other than checking off some boxes about things that you might have known about the Menendezes you know I would be disappointed if what this turns into. Like the next phase is let's go back and look at like old crimes and make sort of docudramas about them. I think that would be the bad route to go.
1: But there's no way that there isn't a Chandra Levy show in development somewhere right now. There's just no way. Someone's pitching that. We're going to see that hitting the airwaves (laughs) in the next year. I guarantee it.
3: Okay, so two episodes into this with that caveat. Let's ask the crime writers. Thumbs up or thumbs down? on watching law and order true crime the menendez murders. Laura, how'd start with you thumbs up thumbs down?
2: I'm going thumbs down. You know what? If we're going to call this law and order and we're going to take dramatic liberties with the story, take some more dramatic liberties and actually make it like a law and order or don't put that name on it. You know, it was you have other things to watch that
0: are better to see. Toby Ball. Thumbs up thumbs down. This is I, this might be the worst thing that I think we've we've watched in my opinion. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> So a thumbs up. No, I, it's th- <laughs> th- thumbs way down. I don't think that's, uh, yeah. It, it, I thought it was It was bad in all ways. Rebecca, which way are your thumbs pointing?
1: Thumbs up. Okay. Um, I think it's terrible, and I'm really enjoying watching it. It's a guilty <laughs> pleasure for me, maybe because it has the whole network shine to it. I really do like Edie Falco's performance. I like seeing good actors do bad material. There's something about that that's fun for me. So I'm giving it the, it's not ironic. Like I'm giving it thumbs up like, if you like network TV in its most bad form, like I do sometimes, you'd like this. So thumbs up for me, even though it is terrible in every way.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up, but you know, not enthusiastically here. I, I give it thumbs up, meaning that I'm going to continue to watch it because I still feel like it's going to grow into something. Uh, although, part of me thinks this could crash and burn out pretty hard. That would
1: be fun to watch too, would it not? That might
3: be fun to watch too. <laughs> It might be fun to watch too. It's not fun like when you burn the food that you have for dinner because it's so complicated you don't right, know how to right, make it. Right. Which is why I love HelloFresh. Oh, sometimes.
1: I felt an ad coming on just then. I was right.
3: Yeah, we are on a mission at HelloFresh to save home cooking, because it's just way too good to go away. They want to make cooking more fun, so they focused on the whole experience, not just the final plate. They like to think of themselves as a farm-to-box company. Uh, HelloFresh comes with either the classic box, the veggie box, or the family box. And each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take about 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks who are short on time. So Laura, tell us about the HelloFresh meal you made.
2: My husband actually made it for me, so I didn't actually oh. see the name. But I will tell you that, you know, he doesn't get in the kitchen as often anymore. And the recipe cards are very easy to follow. Everything is, is laid out in a way that, you know, nice pictures and, you know, even if you have children helping in the kitchen, it's great because they can follow the recipes and they can take part in cooking dinner. And it's all, you know, stuff that they're going to eat as well. So And it doesn't take that long.
3: Uh, what we'd like you to do, To get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh is to go to HelloFresh.com and enter code CRIME30. So you get $30 off, CRIME30, and you'll go and you'll get your first week of HelloFresh for just $30. They're delivering food right to your doorstep in a recyclable insulated box for free. HelloFresh is offering a light fall. Meal right now and just introduced breakfast options. Mmm, it's all less than 10 bucks a meal. Again, that's $30 off your first week at HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter code CRIME30. So, Kevin, do you have anything else to talk about? Why, well, yes, Kevin, I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you about a great experience I had personalizing a book for my nephew. Brenda. Oh, I saw that. This is from our friends at Wonderbly, and I got a book which was called Lost My Name. All right? Now, look, I, I think you remember this. Like, uh, you could get a personalized book. Like, a book would come to your house with a kid's name, and it looked like a Word document mail merge. Yes. Where it was like, and then the boy, big space, and it's, you know, with the print over it, Tony. And it just, it just didn't really look like it was thoughtful or customized. It was cheesy. Or at all. Okay. So along comes Wonderbly. They offer one-of-a-kind personalized products that can be made by you in just minutes. In fact, these guys won the British version of Shark Tank. Hmm. They got funding from them because it's really great.
1: Is the British version of Shark Tank called Shock Tank?
3: Shock Tank. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just wondering.
3: Shark Boot because they keep everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's made by you for your child and the books literally don't exist until you press the button. So what you can do is you can go and you can select the gender of the of the kid, you know, color hair, things like that. And then when you put in their name, the book comes out. It isn't just like all of a sudden they'll put in like a letter B. It spells out this book, Lost My Name, goes through and the character like finds each letter of his or her name. The one I did for Brendan has like... The art is amazing for, like, the page with the letter B.
1: So what if you did Rebecca? Would it be like someone the trying to find... The R would be it? different. Oh, God. Page it.
3: 2 or page 10 would be different. Each page is different. It's and really custom. Yes, it's very custom. And the second C in Rebecca would be a completely different thing from the first one in C. The art is amazing. It reminds me of uh, where the wild things are. Yep. The story is great, and it's, it's so much fun to give your kids, your grandkids... Give it for a you know a birthday gift. A new baby. It's really, really good. It's a child's adventure. It's based on the letters of their name, and every story is unique. And each child can follow the letters of the name through the book to discover the story is really all about them. It's more magical than the typical personalized book that simply inserts a child's name in a generic story. So go to Wonderbly.com. It's W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y. Dot com And enter your little one's name for a full preview of the story. And then when you buy it, because you're going to buy it, you enter code CRIME, CRIME at checkout and get 15% off your order. Visit WonderBlee.com today. And use the code CRIME. CRIME, exactly. Now for Rebecca's favorite part of the show, a little something she likes to call... The The crime of the week. week. Well, we believe there's a zero-tolerance policy on bullying at the schools in Maple Heights, Ohio, but we're kind of surprised that it applies to the superintendent of schools, too. Oh, boy. It seems Charles Keenan thought it'd be funny to pants the vice president of the city school board. Oh, my goodness. It happened at a football game. Seems like the Maple Heights Mustang Pride must have gotten a little too much for him. Keenan grabbed Michael White's waistband and yanked him down all the way down <laughs> the incident happened in it's front of awesome. the, the hometown crowd and was even captured on surveillance cameras now superintendent keenan says it was just meant to be a prank he wasn't trying to be mean or anything like that but he was suspended for 10 days without pay and he had to write a letter of apology so panelists what is the next prank that the superintendent will play on members of the school board, Laura Bricker. What do you think?
2: You know, I was gonna say he might like short sheet their beds, but not with
3: Brooklyn and sheets. Uh, uh-uh, uh, no not way. Not with
2: Brooklyn, but his name just sounds so much like peen that all I can think of is maybe <laughs> some cars and some spray painting. I mean, I nice. don't know.
0: Nice, <laughs> Toby. How about you? Uh, I was trying to think of other classic like pranks like that, and there's always the like slap the guy on the back and leave a little sign, and maybe <laughs> you know school board might be like. You know, ask me about the new bus routes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or defund me. <laughs> Rebecca, what <laughs> do you defund think the next prank me. will be?
1: Uh, I think that he waits until they all go to sleep, and then he puts all of their hands into a cup of warm water, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we all know what happens next.
3: We all know what happens. I'm thinking a swirly yes. in the bathroom. Yes,
1: wet willy, perhaps. Yeah. Yuck. Oh,
3: speaking of Where the hell grossness, you go
2: to school. Yeah, <laughs> Laura. Do we have a, a cat of the week? This isn't gross. The cat of the week is a lovely thing. Um, Not if you see yes. it eating
3: its own vomit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I have to say, all the people in our new Facebook discussion group are awesome. They've started an actual album for people to nominate their cats of the week. And there are all sorts of animals in there, including chickens. But we had a Twitter uh, nomination that I really couldn't say no to this week. Our good friend Lillian, who has been following us for a long time, she actually had a prior cat of the week. She is fostering a Hurricane Harvey cat called Sophie, and Sophie had four kittens I this week. I saw that. And they are going to be named after the crime writers, or, uh, or they what? might take some suggestions. So we're going to have some kittens named after us. And they're so and they're small. So they're like the size cute. of thumbs, and they're so Their cute. Their little eyes aren't even open yet. Yep.
3: Oh, my goodness.
2: The one that's named Toby is
3: so
1: negative already.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's never going to open his eyes. He
0: just calls him like <laughs> he them calls him like he sees them. like
3: he sees them. Laura, if people want to follow you online, how can they do that at Laura Bricker on Twitter and Toby Ball if our listeners want to get a hold of you where can they see you in the interwebs at Toby Ball NH and if you want to send Rebecca a tweet where can we find you Rebecca
1: I am at Reb Lavoy on both Twitter and Instagram and I will say if you like want to interact with us for real join the Crime Writers On official discussion group on Facebook that page is lit man people are talking to us they're talking to each other it's incredible it's so fun
3: Rebecca are you going to feel better no (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I, I hope so. I hope so. I have to get on a plane tomorrow, so it's not looking good for me right
3: now. All right, we'll go take some some Lie down. All
1: right, doing my best.
3: You'll be fine. Thanks for letting me host. If you want to follow me, tell me how much... I am inferior to my wife. 100%. Don't bother. I already know. But tweet <laughs> to me at Kevin P. Flynn. Our show is also on Twitter at Crime Writers On, And you can reach us by email with your questions and voice memos at On at gmail.com. Want to support our show by buying stuff on Amazon? You yes. You can get that all done at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. And don't forget, you can join the official Crime Writers On discussion group on Facebook. Just go to our Facebook page and you'll find a link there. If you listen on iTunes... Or Apple Podcasts the is what thing. they call it. It's the same. Rebecca, you have to really update this script here. I'm scratching out. Most people out. still
1: call it iTunes. It's fine.
3: Consider rating us or reviewing this show. It really helps us out. And while you're browsing for podcasts, check out our other show, These are their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. We talk about actual Law & Order, not this perm shit. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show is recorded in Square Egg Studio. Formerly known as Studio C, and before that, the closet where we hid all of our Halloween candy. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Later. Crime. 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 So, crime. Kevin, do you have anything else to talk about? Well, yes, Rebecca, I do. <laughs> you know, you spend a third of your life on your sheets, so... Uh, okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Shut up, Toby, you try doing this. It's hard stuff. I'm hosting. <laughs> I'm doing the commercials. I don't know if I'm coming or going. I'm losing my mind. You oh spent a third God. of your life on your sheets. Are they taking care of Say it again. You the way- Say
1: it again. Do the whole transition again.